Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness to us, and we know that no one is like you. And you have blessed us with this abundance of knowledge, and you want us to put it to practice. So many of us know so much about well-being and how to be good stewards of our health, and, but the hard part is putting it into practice at times. So I pray that your Holy Spirit would enable us, empower us, that we may be good stewards and also encourage others along the way of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Good afternoon. When I talk about obesity, I talk about overweight, some people feel very uncomfortable because they know that somebody's going again, create guilt feelings, concerns, feeling badly about in, in ourselves. So let me ask you the question, how many of you have ever tried to diet before to lose weight? Okay. So a few of you have. How many of you have not tried to lose weight? And maybe you should have. <laughs> How many of you are worried that you perhaps need to gain weight? Okay. All right. You're in the right place because today I will show you a program that will eliminate all future dietary approaches as long as you do it reasonably well. And I call this weight loss the fail-safe formula. Am I promising you too much? Have I come across so far in our presentations as a credible person that is trying to live up to what I'm trying to represent? Well, then you listen very, very, very carefully. When it comes to managing overweight, we could spend weeks on it. All I can do today is give you a very slim view of a broad subject. <laughs> and I will give you five principles that as you apply them, you will find that your weight will drop off. You no longer have to watch the scale. Because from now on, you believe in living a life that is centered on being healthy rather than being dominated and being tyrannized by the scale. Does that sound okay so far? Okay. Let's take a look. <clears throat> now, this is what you have seen before. Uh, this shows that the uh, weight in America has not changed very much until 1980. And now you see we are on a much larger a chair to find our seats. Just to give you some idea, we have not always been as large as we seem to be as a society now. There seems to be a global change taking place in that people all over the world are gaining weight. Take a look here. This is the state of the United States, and you see the amount of uh, obesity, not just overweight, but we're talking about obesity, which is considerably more. We're looking at obesity trends. We're looking at obesity per state. Here you see in the light blue color, that means 8% of the adults of these states are obese. Then you go five years later, 1990, now you begin to realize the color has changed, and now most of the people are obese at a rate of 13% of all the uh, adults. Five years later, it's 18%. Five years later, it's 23%. Five years later, it's 
2010, now 33% of the adults are obese. What happened? What happened? How come people all of a sudden have gained weight? Did they put something into the water? What has changed? Have, have the, 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 has, the, has the gene pool changed? What has happened? And when you have obesity, you have to worry about, take a look, a person with obesity has seven times more likelihood of developing diabetes, six times more likelihood of developing high blood pressure, five times more likelihood of developing heart disease, four times more likelihood of developing arthritis, three times more likelihood of asthma, six times more likely to develop sleep apnea, plus you're increasing the chances and the risk of breast cancer and prostate cancer and colon cancer and cervix. Obesity is a big issue. Obesity is one of the underlying issues of chronic disease. We're still arguing whether obesity causes these other diseases or whether it's a general marker of a general lifestyle that is causing all of these diseases of which obesity is one of them. What happened? Who is responsible? I have some good news for you. Are you ready for this? If you're carrying some extra weight, if you're pleasantly plump, if you're well-rounded, if you're large, if you're obese, you are not responsible. I thought you would say amen. How many of you believe what I just said? Do you think I'm setting a trap for you? I wouldn't do that, would I? Okay, let me rephrase it since I find a lot of unbelievers in this auditorium here. (laughs) People that don't believe me. Okay, let me rephrase it. You are not exclusively responsible for being overweight and obese. How many of you believe this? Or most of you? Okay. It's okay. I don't know. It's okay. So we have now an agreement. We all have become believers. We're on the same team. We're allied, right? We're working together now. Okay, then if you are not exclusively responsible for being overweight, who has to take some of the blame? Who is contributing to the obesity that you're struggling with? Who is um, contributing to your extra pounds? Who's doing this? What is doing this? Give me some answers. This is your time. No, 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 no. You've got to raise your hand. Yes. Food industry... Like what? They're selling too many tomatoes? No, what, what, what do you mean? Oh, processed foods. Okay, very good. Yes. Additives to the food. Oh, additives make you eat more? Oh, okay. They can addict you? Okay, yes. Do you hear that? A bliss point that has been created by the food industry, that when you eat certain substances, such as you mentioned, salt, sugar, and fat, you develop this nirvana feeling. It's called a bliss point. Let's talk about that later on. I think you're on a very, very important track there. What are some of the other factors? A sedentary lifestyle. Okay, let's take a look at this. A sedentary lifestyle. Yeah. We're sitting in front of the screen too many times, too long, right? We should get up every 20 minutes. By the way, if you want to stand up in between the lecture here every 20 minutes, that's okay with me. Just don't walk out. Okay? So, 
uh, some other factors. So you mentioned uh, sedentary lifestyle, yes. What's that? Oh, willpower. Yeah, big people, fat people, they have no willpower. That's a problem. Is that right? How many agree with this? You don't have too many believers. We might have to rethink that issue. Right? Maybe it's one of the factors, but it probably is not a major factor. Yes. FDA. What do you mean by FDA? Food pyramid. What do you mean by that? I understand. What do they say? Oh, I see. Okay, so the government may have something to do with this in terms of the policies that they advocate in the school system and in the society. Very good point. Yes. Oh, GMOs. Monsanto. Not your favorite company, is it? I agree. Okay. Advertisement. Yeah, very good. Yes, yes. Marketing, yes. Portion amounts. Like what? The portion that you put on your plate? Oh, I see. Exactly. That's what you meant, right? You go out to eat, portion size. Restaurants try to outdo each other. They want to be known as, you get the biggest meal right here. What else? Yes. Oh, now we're getting pretty sophisticated here. Uh, we're taking sugar out, we're replacing it with fructose, which acts differently in the body. Good point. Okay, yes. I beg your pardon? Oh, he stole your line. Okay, very good. You're, you're big thinkers then. Okay. Yeah, that's exactly what this lady said earlier. You create a bliss point, but having the amount uh, sufficient to create a pleasurable addiction that has to do center around sugar, salt, and fat. Is that what we talked about? Yes. Oh, more organic food? So more organic food causes more obesity? Oh, I see, I see. The lady is suggesting if we would eat more organic food... Um, and uh, more organic food and less of the regular food. Okay, very good. It's a good idea. Yes? I beg your pardon? Oh, is it really? It, it's more health. It's more expensive to eat healthy. So therefore, we have to go to McDonald's. Okay, okay. Well... Let's keep that in abeyance. We'll talk about that a little bit more, okay? So keep that sort of in suspense. It's a good point. Anybody else? Yes? Artificial sweeteners. Artificial sweeteners. Yes. You think uh, uh, there has no calorie content here. We're going to be safe. And what happens? They have a different effect chemically on the brain. Yes? Culture. Culture? Give me some ideas. Oh. Mm, family environment, yeah. Okay, um, uh, let me maybe close it there, otherwise we're going to be here all night. Uh, so, early upbringing, right? Uh, 
Um, I remember um, when I grew up, uh, my mother used to say, if I didn't finish my plate, if you don't finish the plate, all the children in Ethiopia will be dying. <laughs> and it goes, happens. Now I'm 45 years of age, and my plate, I still have some food on the plate. I'm in a restaurant. And all of a sudden, something kicks in this special button. It says, eat up everything you have. Finish your plate. Because all the children in Ethiopia are dying. And so you finish up and you're a good boy. Right? The tapes are still there. Programming. Right? How about being raised uh, in a family where you don't have breastfeeding as uh, the preferred way of doing things, and so the bottle is being shoved in? What happens there? You can create billions of extra fat cells in that baby. And you know when that baby has these pouchy cheeks, looks like a hamster? Isn't she cute? Oh, my. And we don't realize you have just created probably billions of excess fat cells and these fat cells will stay with the person as an adult and they'll be like a vacuum cleaner sucking up the energy that comes into the system. So there are many, many issues here. We're beginning to understand this already, right? What about the idea of genetics? It runs in families, doesn't it? Okay, I had this lady in the audience and she said, Sir, I do not agree with you. She was very adamant about it. I mean, I could almost feel intimidated. She said, this is wrong. My father is obese. My mother is obese. My grandparents are obese. I am obese. My husband is obese. My children are obese. It runs in the family. It's genetics. There's nothing that you can say about this. I said, well, what could I do? I'm a nice person. Try to be a nice person. And I said, would you mind if I ask you a personal question or shall we discuss it maybe later on? Be my guest, do it right now. Okay, okay, come on. <laughs> and so I very softly ask her the question. So it runs in your family, your father, your mother, your grandparents, your children. Do you happen to have a dog? Is your dog overweight? Yes. Is that genetics? we begin to realize more and more that it's not so much the genes that we pass on that contribute to obesity, but the recipes that we pass on from one generation to the next. Hmm. How about watching TV? Does that contribute to obesity? Why? No ex-sedentary, but something else. You know, there's a moment when, when um, uh, the... Uh, video is being interrupted by a commercial. And at that moment, in America, millions of people begin to get out of their seats and they shuffle towards the kitchen. And they open up the refrigerator or they go to the pantry and they begin to feed themselves. This is called the pause that refreshes. <laughs> we already talked about uh, the fact that we have LSD in our society, labor-saving devices. In the old days, we didn't have these heating blankets. Now you have heating blankets. And in the old days, the body had to produce 
energy, heat, to warm up the body, to stay warm under the covers. Now the heating blanket is doing that. Because of that, we can gain eight pounds a year. In the old days, we used to have typewriters. We had to really push the, 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 the keys. Today, we have computers. We are increasing our weight by 12 pounds. Just because of that, labor-saving devices. Let me ask another question. Why do people eat? Come on, help me out. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Why do people eat? Comfort. Comfort. Very good. Why do people eat? Hunger. Hunger? Hunger? Yeah. Well, that's an obvious one, isn't it? Yeah. Hunger. We must be very hungry in America because we eat all the time, right? Yeah. Yes. It tastes good. Okay. Food, taste. Excellent. Yes. Why, why do we eat? Habit. We eat on cue, right? It's 12 o'clock. Okay. It's um, 6.30. We're going to eat. Yes. Back there. Boredom. Really? Yeah. Let's talk a bit about um, emotions. Do people eat because of emotions? Is it big time? Very big time. You celebrate. You celebrate with food. You are sad. You celebrate with food. Um, the, um, the, the hockey game didn't end up the way you wanted it, uh, so you're sad, so you drown it with food. They win the game, what happens then? They're also, you know, we eat on, for every occasion. I mean, we have a baby born, we celebrate with food, usually the worst food. If somebody dies, we celebrate with food, the worst food. It's true, isn't it? We have, we have weddings. I mean, these are very healthy meals, don't they? You know, small wedding cakes. Yes. A lot of time, appearance uh, draws you to eat things. Mm. You know, something looks good, even though it might not be good. Yeah, parents push you. Yeah, the school food we can talk about. Let's talk about emotions a little bit more. Okay, emotions, because that's one of the big factors that draws us to food. Boredom, excitement. What else? Depression, sadness. Somebody mentioned boredom already. Loneliness. Stress. Yes. Yeah. Uh, this, this lady was in my audience, and uh, I asked her a very question. He says, I'm upset. I'm upset with my husband. He's a dentist, and it's winter time here in Canada, and he is in Hawaii. I'm mad. I'm freezing my buns off. Why didn't he take me along? Well, why didn't she ask, right? <laughs> so she's all by herself and she's upset. And uh, it, she said, it's close to 11, 11 o'clock. I'm getting to my bedroom and I begin to disrobe. I stand in front of the mirror and I face the naked truth. <laughs> and for a second, I let it all hang out. And I'm so scared. And you know what I do next? What do you think she did next? She turned the lights off. So she turns the lights off, and then what she do? She opens the door, and she goes downstairs. To where? Kitchen. You know these things, right? You know those tricks, right? Yeah. And then, what happens the next morning? First of all, she goes to bed and she's happy. She gets uh, all the things that are there. The ice cream and all the toppings that she can find 
everything, and she tops it off with a maraschino cherry. Ah, now I feel good about it. She goes to bed. Ah, this man of mine, why didn't he take me along? She's angry, but she's beginning to calm down because she's soothing her anger with the sweetness of the food, right? Goes down very nicely, smoothly. Next morning, good. I had made a decision, she said, to lose two pounds while he was gone for that 10-day convention in, in Maui. Now I can't do it anymore. And she kicks herself. And that's exactly what happens. You look for short-term satisfactions and you have long-term distress. Make sense? What can we do about emotions? How do we handle our emotions? Do we just reach out for something like a pacifier? I mean, that's what we are. We're still going back to, we're regressing to the pacifier stage. When that baby gets the pacifier, let me tell you, if you have a room of many, many uh, new friends for that little baby, and you are the only one that takes the pacifier, that special pacifier, and you dip it into some sugar or water or some honey or something, and you give it to the baby, that baby will recognize you for the next hour and a half among all the friends and people there because somehow something registers and it begins to uh, program that baby for certain tastes. Have you ever thought of how we're tasting formulas and how we're tasting baby foods for the babies? Who tastes the food? Who is the tester? The mother. The mother has already a perverted appetite. It's already cued towards high sugar, high salt. And so immediately we start that baby in that kind of a fashion. I always tell people, if you can, do what God designed us to do as mothers. Breastfeed. It's the best milk we can find. Not only the healthiest, but also it is having many, many beautiful side benefits. Something is happening there. The bonding. You will have less inner infections. You will have less anemia. You will have less of all the problems that we find, uh, asthmatic problems in babies, because of products that were taken in that were not ideally designed. <clears throat> Do you realize... <clears throat> that the protein content of mother's milk changes just about every week. How does the mother's productive system know that there ought to be more protein being added to the milk at certain stages of uh, the development of the baby? Amazing. An amazing God. We can never come even close in finding a formula that approaches mother's milk. So I always tell people, if you can... Tell your children, when they come to that age, try to breastfeed. How long? Oh, six months, 12 months, two years, until the teeth get too sharp. <laughs> so we talked about advertising, right? Let's take a closer look here. Uh, take a look here. Kellogg's Frosted Flakes, they spent $40 million a year just on one brand. 
the dairy industry spends over now $200 million a year to tell you that you need to have dairy products in order to have strong bones. If you don't get your three glasses of milk, your bones will break and you will fall apart. The countries in the world that drink the most milk and eat the most cheese have the highest rates of osteoporosis. Now, so then you have McDonald's, and this is actually uh, several years old. Uh, so this is probably over $1 billion in advertising. They spent $1 billion to seduce you, and they tell you, you can save money if you eat here at the Golden Arches, because healthy food is too expensive. Right? Right? We have what it takes to create happy times. So you have $1 billion, and then in contrast, the National Cancer Institute, a national organization, the government tells us, you need to eat more fruits and vegetables, and they have a measly $1 million. It really doesn't even show up on the screen. $1 million is being spent by the government to tell us as consumers, eat more fruits and vegetables, versus McDonald's alone, which spends $1 billion. Guess who gets the ear? Guess who gets the hearing? Guess who is being influenced with what product? We are children of our age. And we Adventists are no exceptions. We too have drifted into a secular lifestyle. We, true, we also have become so accustomed to foods that have nutrition labels that we don't even think about it anymore. When I tell people, maybe you should cut back on foods that have nutrition labels, they come in, what do you mean? There's nothing left to eat then, is there? There is. Have you ever seen nutrition labels on tomatoes? Do you ever see a nutrition label on mangoes? Do you see nutrition labels on potatoes? Do you see nutrition labels on Pringles? Do you see nutrition labels on ketchup? Do you ever see nutrition labels on... Uh, did we talk about Pringles? What's the difference? Why do some have nutrition labels and some don't? What's the difference? Because God doesn't need nutrition labels on his food. He knows how to create and make the food properly. But when it goes through the plant process, by that I mean the laboratory, through the process of industrializing an original food, then we always change the composition. And so the government wants us to understand, they want us to be good consumers, intelligent consumers, and to recognize, aha, because of the processing, the fiber has been removed, this is a low fiber product. Because this product has become processed, it is high in salt. Be careful if you have high blood pressure. This product is high in sugar. Be careful if you are concerned about hyperglycemia. Do you see? The government wants us to become aware of these kind of things. But it would be much better if we just don't even have to worry about these things. And begin to focus first on foods as grown as they come out of the hand of a master designer. Can you say amen to that? It seems to be such an obvious thing, but we have slipped away from it. All of us. True, isn't it? It's easy. We no longer have a generation that knows how to cook. 
I mean, we're illiterate when it comes to cooking. We no longer have home economics in school. If you cannot shove it into a microwave oven, uh, it comes in a box, you don't know what to do. If you lose your can opener, you're going to starve to death. <laughs> and so here is this book by uh, a very well-known author, winner of the Pulitzer Prize, Michael Moss. He wrote a very outstanding book called Saul Children Fed. I highly recommend it. Uh, it came out about three, four years ago. Uh, it's absolutely important reading for all of you. And here you see this meticulously researched book tells the chilling story of how a processed food industry is making a fortune by slowly poisoning an unwitting population. Many of these large processing food companies are owned by Philip Morris. Who is Philip Morris? The tobacco industry. Do you think that the Bible to know something? How to addict people? How to habituate people? When they bought some of these junk food companies, when they bought these processed food companies, they knew exactly what to do. The first thing they did as, a, as an industrial group, they said, we need to go to the brain research centers and they gave them the orders. Tell us how much sugar do we need to put into this product to create a bliss point. Bliss point means... You taste that chocolate on your tongues, and within less than a second, the brain is being alerted in the pleasure center. This is good. And you cannot stop until the chocolate is gone. Most people are that way. The bliss point. Then you have they found out if we put enough fat in a product, it creates what they call a mouth feel. And when there's enough uh, fat in a product, uh, it, it, it becomes very pleasurable. Uh, it sends a message within less than a second to the pleasure center of the brain. It says, it's good. And you reach out for the next Pringle. You're helpless. It's virtually impossible to do anything else. And when you have that salt, if you have the right amount of salt, again, you have the same habituation taking place. If you take rats and you allow rats to choose between heroin and sugar, they will choose the sugar. We have underestimated the power of the addictive potential that these additives have that is added to processed foods. I had a pastor coming to me, and he said to me, why don't you tell the people to pray about this and to, to become strong in the Lord? I said, I don't believe in that. You don't? I don't believe in prayer when you have the food in front of you. I believe in prayer when you go to the store. Amen. That's when you pray. Lord, help me. Because as that food screams, that you take me and I'll make you happy, and you put it into the trolley, into the card, what happens next? You bring it home, you're going to eat it. So, the time of prayer and where you pray is very, very important. Okay? <clears throat> so let us be aware that it's not that easy just to say, just be strong in the Lord, just pray about it. Folks, it's too late. When you bring the food home, it's virtually impossible not to eat it. So let us be aware that prayer has to be done at the right time in the right spot. 
We talked about the idea that since 1980, the weight crept up very rapidly in American society, beginning in 1985, every five years, so that today, 70% of the adults in America, 70%, 70 70% of the American adults are either overweight, that means they have 10% more than what they should weigh, or they are actually obese, which means they're at least 20% above what they should weigh. Do you know what you should weigh, or would you rather not? No. Should I give you the ideals? Now, the ideals come from the Metropolitan Life Insurance Policy, uh, a whole company, uh, that determined uh, who is at the highest risk of dying young and who is going to live the longest because that will determine what we're going to charge these people. And here's what they found. This goes back to 1959. And they found that for every five feet, this is for men now, for every five feet, you get 100 pounds. For every inch above five feet, you get an extra six pounds. So if you have five feet ten, what should be the ideal weight be for that person? Can you do the math? Yeah, 160 pounds. I said, my goodness, I look like a skeleton. Because we're so used to looking large that we look at people that are sort of the slim set. Oh, he's kind of scrawny looking. Health, that's the way to go. Women, do you want to know what you're supposed to be? I mean, I don't want you to get upset with me. Okay, five feet, 100 pounds. Every extra inch, five pounds. But we'll give you one extra inch for height, for high heels. <laughs> so if you are, if you are, if, you know, like my wife, she's five two. So we give her five three, okay? So five, that's a hundred and three inches. She's actually five two, but three, uh, that's 115 pounds. That's just about where she's at. And you say, well, you don't understand the female. Anatomy is different from a man. Yeah, I know. I, I registered that very happily. I mean, so depending on, one has to make some adjustments. You can add 10% to uh, that ideal weight, depending on your bone size, depending on how, where your, um, how proportionate you are built in certain ways. You see, there are some give and takes. I'm just giving you some ideals some rough ideals. And then people say, well, when you get older, you're supposed to gain weight, right? No, 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 not really. Who says that? Well, it's normal, isn't it? No, it's, it shouldn't be. Well, it's normal in our society. So you can give yourself 10% extra. It's okay. But many of us are vastly exceeding that. Remember, we're not talking about what the government today suggests are the ideal weights because they didn't want to have America go into a national depression. So every five, ten years, they allow the normal, the ideal weight to creep up a little bit more and more and more. They have these BMI values and so on. The only way, if you really want to know what your ideal weight is, is if you go into, uh, in, you, um, well, there are different ways to do it, but one way to do it is uh, you uh, reach out to your... Uh, 
left side lower rib area and you take your thumb and your index finger and you take one of the folds of skin that you have here and then you take a look and see if this is more than one inch you have to squeeze harder I mean, most people know whether they're they large or not. All they have to do is just cover up their face so they don't see themselves in the mirror. Take a look at yourself. And don't suck it all up. <laughs> so we are concerned about weight not because of the cosmetics, but because of health. Because the larger the waistline, the shorter the lifeline. For every extra pound above your ideal weight that I just gave you, for every pound, you actually pay for it with one month of your life. So if you're 50 pounds overweight, that's 50 months, that's four years. Plus, you have to worry about all the quality of life issues, these sicknesses, the morbidities that you have to worry about. So, it's a big issue. But let's take a look here at what we can do about this. Uh, dietary trends, you see McDonald's big time. And this is the American diet. Well, 50% and plus comes from processed foods. 35% of the calories comes from animal products, and only 14% of the calories that we consume in America today comes from food that God prepared for us. I sometimes wonder how a creator thinks about an extraordinary product developed with great care, and then the consumer, I don't need it. You are a painter. You have just produced this beautiful painting. You have worked very diligently. You have thought about this. You have come to uh, a point where the aesthetics are just beautiful. The colors are right. Everything is right. And you give it to a very special person. And that person doesn't know that you think that you are special. To you, that's just a regular person. He gives you one of his creations and you put it in the garage. God, the ultimate painter, God, the ultimate creator, the ultimate creative source. We are special to him and we discard him. Pass on the burgers. Pass on the steaks. Pass on the Pringles. And the Creator looks on. And then they pray over this food. And they say, Dear Lord, bless this food. <laughs> Do you see the irony? I mean, do you really see the irony when you look at it from the perspective of a Creator? So let's think about this just a bit more. Energy in energy balance. You know, if you put more if you put more money into the bank account, then you withdraw. What happens to the bank account? 
it grows. The same thing is with calories. You put more calories into the system, then you withdraw, then you see a ballooning, uh, the, the bank account gets larger. And what happens with the human body is uh, the energy, the extra energy, the extra calories, they go usually into a central fat bank. She's right here, central fat bank. And after a while, uh, as we don't make enough withdrawals, uh, that thing, again, bank becomes overloaded, and it gets more and more, and it cannot handle it all, and it sets up branch offices all over your body. <laughs> and now you look in the mirror, and you know that you have a family union coming up in three months, or a wedding is coming up, or a homecoming, or something like this. And you say, I've got to lose weight quickly. And what are you going to do? You're going to go to the store, and you have this cash register there, and just beside it are all these new, the latest diets. Lose seven pounds in seven days. Lose 15 pounds in 15 days. That's what I need. The, the, the event is coming on. I mean, I have to look the part. And you fall into the trap of the merchants of misery. Because that's all you get out of these kind of approaches. If you want to lose weight, don't use a short-term solution for a long-term problem. But set a goal and say, I want to lose one to two pounds a week, and I want to eat as much as I possibly can and lose weight and be healthy. And I'm not even worried about the weight, I'm just going to be eating for health. And when you eat for health, the scale will take care of itself. Amen. Don't be tyrannized by the scale. Particularly if you're premenopausal and there's certain things that happen there, right? Yeah. And you're holding water, you're holding weight, and you say, ah, oh, it's not working, and you become frantic. No, just relax. Eat for health, and the scale will take care of itself. <clears throat> So whenever you have 3,500 calories accumulated more than what you need to have, then you have put down one pound of fat. Are we clear on that one? So if you have a piece of apple pie, and it's more than what you need for the day, and that apple pie, that slice, is 500 calories. It's not even a la mode. It's just a simple piece of apple pie. 500 calories, one slice, more than what you need for the day. At the end of one week, how many calories will you have added as a surplus? 3,500. Which means you have gained one pound of yellow fat on your body because of that one extra piece of apple pie. A moment, a moment on your lips a lifetime on your hips. Yeah, there you go. So, so you, you begin to realize, I got to lose weight. And your first uh, uh, reflex action is, eat less, right? Push away from the table. And so what do you do now? You cut back on serving size. You are now going on to these semi-starvation diets. You are hungry all the time. And after a few weeks, say, I can't do it any longer. It's, it's for the birds. I'd rather have a few extra pounds. And you give up. True? We do it all the time. And you wait for the next diet to come along. I'll try that one. And all these diets are built on the principle of monotony. Just eat these grapes. Every day. 
eat so many grapes. It's a Mayo Clinic. Grapes, 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 grapes. And guess what happens? After about 10 days, you will have lost 7, 8, 9, 10 pounds. You say, yes, it's working. I can get off the diet. And you go back. Right? And then they, they have the grapefruit diet. It's grapefruits and grapefruits and grapefruits and grapefruits. And you eat these grapefruit diets and you lose weight. Yes, of course you do. Because built on monotony, nobody wants to eat too many of these kind of things. And so after a while, you get off the things. Ah, oh, finally, I'm off. I lost those nine pounds. You're going back up to your weight. Because you haven't changed your lifestyle. You haven't learned anything. You fall into the traps of the merchants of misery who sell you a bill of goods. So then you say, well, I, I can't do it with diet. Uh, it's too boring. I'm, ho- I'm hungry all the time. So what are you next? I'm going to exercise. And you've seen it on television, right? These people lose weight. What do they call this? The biggest losers, right? Do you know that they exercise 10, 11, 12 hours a day? I mean, you have to be... None, you cannot be employed if you want to lose weight with exercise. You have to go on vacation and just exercise and exercise and exercise. You have to become unemployed to lose weight. You cannot lose weight by exercising, contrary to what many people believe. Let me give you an example. I have these two ladies coming to me. They're in their 70s. They're my age. And I said, sir, um, this is a normal Linda. We'd like to lose some weight. I said, that's a great idea. I said, uh, do you want to change your diet? No. Or what do you want to do? We want to exercise. Oh, good. Can you give us an exercise program? And I know exactly how many uh, calories you burn when you walk one mile. So I can give them a program. It says so many miles you have to walk every day, and after so many months, you will have lost so many pounds. It's a mathematical formula. No problem. So I tell them, I said, I want you to walk from the medical center at Loma Linda. We want you to walk to Stater Brothers. That's sort of a grocery store there. It's about 1.1 mile. And then you go back, and it's about 2.2 miles. That's a great program. And I like you two ladies to always do it together so there's some accountability. Okay? Yes, sir. After four months, they come back, and they said, Sir, it doesn't work. We have gained weight. I said, did you change your diet? No. Uh, are you exercising every day? No. What do you do? We exercise five days a week. I said, that's good enough. So you're exercising every day. And every day you go from the medical center to Seder Brothers. You turn around and then you go back there, which is 2.2 miles. Yes, sir. Right? Yes. They're truthful. I said, I cannot understand this. Let me see. So you, you start at, uh, at the medical center you walk 1.1 miles, and then you go to, you turn around at the State of Brothers. Uh, do you go inside? Yes. <laughs> and what do you do there? You just look around. Oh, we have been so good. We just walked 1.1 miles. We have that Krispy Kreme donut. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, and how long does the joy last? Oh, about five minutes, but it's good. good. (laughs) I said, you know, that Krispy Kreme donut is 410 calories, and you're burning 220 calories every day by going back and forth, right? So actually, every time you take a walk and you stop there, you actually gain 200 calories every day because it's Krispy Kreme. Is it really worth it? 
And one lady says, oh yes, doctor really is. <laughs> so you have to walk four miles to burn off one Krispy Kreme. You have to walk four miles to burn off one Super Coke with fries and a Big Mac. It's impossible. This is not the way to lose weight. You exercise, you do something for yourself in terms of moving your body, not because you want to lose weight, but because that's the law of life and you feel good and you keep your muscles and everything in shape. That's why you do it. And you have a little side effect there. Yes, it burns a few calories and it sets up your uh, metabolic rate a bit differently, but it's a minor effect. It's much easier to let go of the crispy cream donut. Snacks. Snacks. What you want to do, you want to eat more whole foods because you can eat as much as you want. You will reduce your food bill and you will have an overall improvement in your health. Eat more whole foods. What did I say? Eat more? What are whole foods? Fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, lots of beans, and maybe a few nuts, not too many, maybe some avocado a little bit, right? Okay. So here are five principles that I want to share with you very, very rapidly. Number one, reduce empty calories. What are empty calories? They have no nutritional value. Okay? So reduce empty calories. Well, we now have seen a dramatic shift in the 1970s, 1980s, where we have shifted in America from foods to industrialized products. Soda pop is an industrialized product. Orange juice is an industrialized product. Oranges are not. Okay, so let's take a look at this. So in America, we consume about 16% of our calories in terms of sugar. We consume on the average 30 to 40 teaspoons of sugar a day. And most people don't seem to have a clue that this is happening. It's everywhere. You take tomato ketchup and you have lots of sugar there. Sugar is everywhere. It's addictive, and people, the producers know what they're doing. Most of it comes from soda pop. 32 pops are consumed by a family of two plus two children a week. And every soda pop has 10 to 12 teaspoons of sugar. I mean, why would you want to spend that money for water and some fizz and 10 to 12 teaspoons of sugar in there? And then you put some caffeine in it. Look at the donut. We really recommend, when you eat the donut next time, really look at that very carefully, and then always eat the center. (laughs) And then people say, yeah, you can buy these donut holes now too. Yeah, right. So this is one piece of German chocolate cake, 15 teaspoons of sugar, bananas with 25 teaspoons of sugar. This is what we give our grandkids. God help us. This is not a cereal. This is not a grain. This is um, a candy. Well, 50% of the calories is sugar. And the rest of the calories comes from totally refined uh, flour, which is not in your best interest either. And then let's take a look here. We have this idea sometimes that uh, um, we cannot afford uh, healthy fruits. One pound of oats is about $1.85. One ounce of grain flour in the form of fruit loops is $11.95. 
Folks, when you eat food as it comes in nature, it's inexpensive. And it is so cheap that you can even afford mangoes, especially right now when they're in season. <laughs> it's a great time right now to buy mangoes. Okay? Oh, yeah. So sugar. Then you have fats and oils. That's another 20%. No nutrition value. Did, did you hear me correctly? No nutritional value to these oils. God didn't make oils. God made olives. God didn't make coconut oil. God made coconuts. Are you with me? So when you refine this, you have a tendency to overdo it, and there's no nutrition value there. To give you an example here, it takes 14 ears of corn to get one tablespoon of corn oil. Now, if you wouldn't have these industrialized manufacturing processes, you could never eat one tablespoon of corn oil equivalent because you would have to eat 14 ears of corn and I dare say nobody can do that in one session. But you can easily get two to three tablespoons of corn oil in a German potato salad. True or false? So you see, when you industrialize it, it is much easier to overdo something. That's the problem. And there's no nutrition value there. And then when you have the corn oil, then you make corn chips. This is just nine ounces, a little bag. And this is uh, now 1,450 calories. That's half a pound of fat on your hips. And you can eat those in 10 minutes or less. And some of you just inhale them and they're gone. And then you say, how come I'm gaining weight? I'm eating like a bird. Something is wrong. It must be in the air. No, it's those snacks. The larger the snacks, the larger the slacks. Yeah, take a look here. On the, on, uh, you see the potato chips? This is just one tube of potato chips. It's 1,000 calories. It's mostly fat. You could have eaten 10 potatoes. That's also 1,000 calories. And people come and say, I cannot eat potatoes. Potatoes are fattening. Haven't you heard this? Did God make a mistake? Well, of course, what you do, you, you have the baked potato, then you become involved as a surgeon without a license, and you open it up, and what happens? What goes inside? That's where the calories go in, you see? You see, well, the kids are coming home from college, we have to have them give them something really good. Yeah, you kill them. We have to think differently. And you say, well, what am I supposed to do with the potato? Well, I told you the other day, what do you put on top? Lentils. Yesterday's lentil soup. Because you want something moist, that's what you want. That's why you would butter. And but butter is pure fat, it's, it's pure calories. This is a beautiful video that is turning into a silent movie right now. So we don't have uh, the sound, but that's okay. This is what we do. Fats and sugar combinations, that's what candy is. It's sugar and fat. No nutritional value. So, now then you have alcohol that some, uh, you know, men consume. So, almost 50% of the calories that we eat in America, half of all the calories that we eat have no nutritional value. We're overfed and we're undernourished. That brings me to principle number two, and that is reduce animal products. Why do we want to reduce animal products? Why? We're talking about Weight management. You cannot lose weight and keep it off unless you let go of animal products. Why? Because animal products are high in fat. 
I have no axe to grind personally to denounce meat for any reason except on a scientific basis. You cannot succeed in losing weight in a very predictable fashion unless you let go of meat and meat products because they're high in calories. Let me give you some idea. This is then the second principle that's very important here. The first one was we have changed food into industrialized products and now we have changed plants into animal products. Let's take a look. 75% of the fat that we eat is hidden. We don't even know it's there. Particularly when it comes from animal sources. Did you know that when you have a half chip box of extra crispy, that's equivalent of 18 pats of butter? You don't think that way, do you? You think it's chicken, it's white meat, it must be healthy, that's better than eating uh, a steak. Wait a minute. 18 pats of butter equivalent. Look where the, where the fat is. 35% of all the fat that we eat in America comes from meat, poultry, and fish. Another 31% comes from salad oils and shortening. You can be a vegetarian and still have a lot of fat coming into your diet, especially with these salad oils and shortenings. I mean, I sometimes see people have their salads, and that's a good idea, but then you can't find the salad anymore because the blue cheese dressing is covering it all up. Folks, you've just destroyed much of the value that you were hoping to get from your salad. So we have to be a little careful there. Use low-fat dressings. There are many, many dressings out there. You can have Italian dressings that are very low in fat. You can make your own dressings. You can use lemon juice. There are many, many things. And your taste buds will be just adjusting after a while. Dairy products. 15% of the fat in our diet comes from dairy products. Just to give you some idea. If you're looking at the lowest uh, line there, the sausage, that's an American hot dog. Protein. How much uh, protein is in uh, a hot dog? 15%. 15% of the calories in a hot dog is protein. 85% is fat. Folks, if you knew what goes into a hot dog, you would never eat another hot dog in your life. Because everything that you cannot sell goes into those skins. Then you have the sirloin steak there. You see it? The protein is about 25, maybe 30%. And the fat content is about 70, 75%. This is a high-fat meal. It's difficult to lose weight when you eat these kind of foods. So when you think about meat next time, do not think protein. Think fat. Because protein is what the industry has managed to sell us on. We have to be concerned over, over the excessive amounts of protein in the American diet. We only need 50, 60 grams of protein a day, and even that has a safety margin in it. Most Americans take from 100 to 130 grams of protein. You're a vegetarian, you don't have to worry about getting enough protein if you get enough food into the system. I mean, even an orange has one gram of protein. Not that that's a lot. When you have beans, you have lots of protein coming into the system. You don't have to worry about ever, ever again, if you move towards the vegetarian diet, that you could possibly become protein deficient. Believe me. Worry that you take too much protein, which is directly associated with the burnout of the kidneys and kidney disease. Which is on the rise in our country big time. What about cheese? There you see it listed there. What about cream cheese? Cream cheese is 9% protein 
cream cheese is 90% fat. Cream cheese is 90% fat. You might as well eat Vaseline. You say, well, it doesn't taste the same. Yeah, I understand. You have cheese. Cheese is 70% fat. And the cheese that we eat is mostly saturated fat. Cheese is the number one source of saturated fat in the American diet today. Cheese causes more increase in cholesterol than any other food group. And somehow, didn't we have sort of a suggestion made to us in inspired writings that perhaps the time will come and perhaps we should let go of cheese? Are you familiar with that? There are many people out there that are not of our persuasion. They say the time is here to ban cheese. We need to cut back on cheese. And then people say, well, what happens to the pizzas? Well, that's a great idea. Let it go. You see what happened to cheese? Started in 1975. Very quickly. 1975. What happened in 1975? McDonald's, remember? Cheeseburgers, right? Cheese is everywhere now, but it's more than that. In 1975, the American public rose up against the dairy industry and said, we do not want to have any more regular whole milk. Why? Because they begin to learn that whole milk has a lot of saturated fat which causes the liver to drive the cholesterol up, which causes heart disease. We don't want to have whole milk anymore. And the industry said, no problem, we will give you skim milk. So we'll give you blue water. And what do you think they did with all the fat that they skimmed off? They sent it to China? No, they made cheese from it. And so the American people, totally unaware, you know, you have an executive that says to us, but look, I just found out that uh, whole milk has a lot of saturated fat. No more whole milk in our home. Is that clear? He's sort of an executive type, right? Not a very nice person. That's not how you treat a wife. But he does. No more whole milk. Okay. So she brings home Skim milk, skim milk, skim milk. And one day, she forgets. And she has whole milk on the table. And he doesn't even seemingly realize it. And he pours it in. And he said, this is half and half. <laughs> Do you know that that happens? When you get used to a certain product, then the previous product becomes exaggerated. So he said, you're giving me half and half. What are you trying to do, woman? You're trying to become a rich widow? You're trying to kill me? No, give me some cheeseburger. Did you catch that one? Did you see how inconsistent we are? Because many of us only have partial answers. We only have half-truths. Yes, the man is right. It's better to move towards skim milk, perhaps because of the fat content of the milk. But then he wants to have the cheese, which annuls everything that he just wanted to accomplish, right? And there are many, many other problems with with, with milk, but I'm just talking about right now the reason why we have this dramatic increase in the cheese consumption in our society. Somebody told me that the American culture would collapse 
if we would take the cheese out because the cheese has become the glue for everything. And every day they try to find new recipes because the, the milk industry, the dairy industry does not know what to do with all the cheese that is piling up in large warehouses because they have too many farmers, they raise these cattle in such a way that they produce excessive amounts of milk with all kinds of uh, growth hormones and so on. And we're now in trouble because we're inundated with cheese. We ought to let it go. We ought to cut back on cheese. <clears throat> Number one source of saturated fat in the American diet. And here you see the, 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 the fat content in food. Milk, milk, whole milk is about 50% fat. Ice cream is 55% fat. Cheese is 70%. Cream cheese is 90%. Beef and pork is 70%. And nuts are very high in fat too. That's why we always recommend eat some nuts. Nuts are nutritious products. We should have maybe one ounce a small handful like this of nuts every day. Small amounts. Avocado, not a problem. Use it for garnishing. Don't use it as guacamole. Because it's like pure fat. This is what we eat in North Carolina. I picked it up. North Carolina. Do you recognize some of these foods? Can we turn those lights off back there? Yeah. Yeah. This is North Carolina. Do you see all the fresh fruit? Do you see all the vegetables? Do you see all the whole grains, the, 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 the oats for, for breakfast? No. Do you see the beans? No. This is the standard American diet. It's called standard American diet, S-A-D. It says SAD. I want to take you to Loma Linda very quickly now. This is the Large Adventist Health Study. If you have been involved in this study, we appreciate what you folks have done. The government has given Loma Linda more than $25, $30 million to, uh, to understand why do Adventists live longer. And as you know, Adventists are known not to use alcohol. They're known usually not to use um, tobacco. They're known usually not to use or used to uh, use uh, caffeine. And they live a very homogeneous lifestyle. They all go to church on Saturday. They're fully religious people. They're good people. They have a good social network. They're people that have a certain lifestyle, which is a wonderful lifestyle. But among the Adventists, there are five groups of dietary subgroups. You have the vegans. That's about 10%. You have the lacto-ova. That's about 30%. You have the fish-eating vegetarians. That's 10%. And then you have 50% of the Adventists in America and Canada. 50% of them are meat eaters. 50% of the Adventists are meat eaters. Now, meat, especially processed meat, has been identified as being a carcinogen by the World Health Organization. I mean, even if we don't want to listen to inspired counsel, we should listen to the World Health Organization that says there's a direct relationship. The more processed meat, the more colon cancer you can expect. We're playing Russian roulette with our lives. Just to give you some idea, when it comes to weight, um, can you see this here? Yeah, the red one here. These are Adventist meat-eating women. On the average, they weigh 180 pounds. These are Adventist women that are pure vegetarians. These are all the different subgroups in between. These, well, we call them pure, I don't like the word vegan. 
These, yes, if you want to be technical, that's right, that's vegans. I don't even like the word vegetarian, because the moment you talk about vegetarian and vegan, you close up. So when we talk in the CHIP program about a healthy diet, we talk about an optimal diet. We talk about a plant food-centered diet of whole foods. Did you get that one? Whole foods, plant-based, okay? Foods that come out of the hand of the master designer. Adventist women that want to lose weight, if they could shed uh, the meat consumption, they could easily move in this direction here very easily over time. For men, the uh, relationship is very similar. Adventist men that are meat eaters, on the average, weigh about 32 pounds more in North America than those that are in the green category. So if you wanted to lose weight, what would be the best color to choose? Green. Green is red, right? Be a little careful with nuts because you have one half a pound. Look at this. This is just 10 ounces of planters mixed nuts. You eat those, that's 1,700 calories. That gives you half a pound of fat on your body. So use nuts in moderation. Um, the Inspired Council is very clear. She always says moderate amounts of nuts. They're nutritious, they're sound, but don't overdo it. Six, seven, eight, nine nuts, something like this. You don't have to be a bookkeeper. I had a lady one time, right here, 25 years ago, she was here, I spoke here, and she said, what about sunflower seeds? I love sunflower seeds. Are they high in fat? I said, yeah, sort of, yeah. That's where you get sunflower oil from, right? She said, how many can I have? I love those. And I just sort of said, jokingly, 13 every day. <laughs> she called me up a year later. She said, sir, I've been eating 13. I count them every morning. Thir So when it comes to food refinement, remember, the closer you buy and eat the food as it comes in nature, you better you are off. If you have apple juice, look at this. You have, that's the same, uh, one glass of apple juice is the same as six apples. You can easily overeat on apples, can you? No. Can you easily overdo it on apple juice, calorie-wise? Yes. The same thing is true with with bread, bread is nothing to worry about. We have all these kind of crazy ideas. Whole bread, multi-grain, especially sprouted bread is ideal. But be careful what you do with it. When you put the butter on it and the margarine and then you put the peanut butter on, this is all fat, fat, fat. Then you put the uh, jam on top so that it slides down the chute a bit easier. Folks, that's how you get the calories. So third principle is then eat more whole foods. Number one, reduce empty calories. Number two, reduce animal products. Number three, eat more whole foods. And you say, what are whole foods? I talked to you about this before. Fruits, whole grains, legumes, vegetables, and nuts. And please note, all of these are very, very low in fat except for the nuts. This is how God made it. These are the powerhouses of nutritional concentration. Fruits, whole grains, legumes, and vegetables. These are the foods that God wants us to zero in on. And when you do eat these foods, you can thank the Lord for providing you again with blessings. Just to give you some idea, one slice of apple pie, it's about 500 calories, you could have eaten five apples. 
These are some of the things that happen in medical conventions. People have a happy hour. They have a small drink of vodka there and some nuts. That's 740 calories. They could have eaten five pounds of fruits <laughs> plus two rolls. <clears throat> These are foods that are high in nutrition and low in calories. You say, no more cheeseburger? No, you can have your, you can have your burger if you want to. It's 1,000 calories, but make it a port- portobello burger with eggplant. It's only 250. You have to make choices. We can have choices out there now. And this is a very important slide here. Um, I should go on this side here, because afterwards people come and say, why do you always talk only to the left side there? Okay, so I'm going to come to you now here. This is very, very important here. Uh, this is now... Um, uh, food that you consume that has a lot of fiber. You know, this is fiber here, these blue spicules. And you have some calories here. This is very important because when that stomach is full, there are stretch receptors in here. And they begin to stretch now and they send a signal to your brain. It says, I am full, and the apostat goes down and you don't eat anymore because you have these wonderful stress stretch receptors here. Now, when you eat fi- uh, food that has very little fiber, you know, in order to get a full stomach, you have to eat lots and lots and lots of calories because you don't have enough fiber in it. So fiber is magical. Fiber fills us up. Fiber gives us a, f- a value of we are full. The stretch receptors send a message to the brain, I am full, shut down, everything is fine. Magical. How God designed this for us. And so, uh, as we're closing here, um, the principal cause of overweight is not overeating, but the reliance on heavily marketed calorically dense foods. Remember I talked about calorically dense foods? You have Pringles loaded with calories. You have potatoes, virtually no calories there to worry about. The main culprit in overweight is not food volume, the amount of food that we eat, but the caloric density. I mean, you have a small a candy bar, and it's 250 to 500 calories. Does it fill you up? No. Does it get these stretch receptors to work for you? No. So what do you do? You eat another one, and another one, and another one, and another one, and you have 2,500 calories, and you begin to finally feel a sense of satiety and fullness. You have a big salad. You have some uh, uh, beans with it. You have two or three potatoes. Low calorie, high nutrition. That's just the way God designed it. So, these are then the four principles. And i give you one more as we close. Number one, we said reduce empty calories. Number two, reduce animal products because they're high in uh, fat and uh, calorie content. Number three, eat more whole foods as much as you want. You cannot gain weight. Just be careful what you put on top of these foods. Number four, increase your daily exercise, not because you want to lose weight, but it's just the right thing to do. And then number five, I need to tell you about this here. Uh, So we want you to eat more and exercise more. But number five, number five, I have to tell you about my daughter. I'm a proud daddy. She has a wonderful mother, and that's why she's so good. She's a PhD, psychology, and she said to me one time, she said, Daddy, you're doing it all wrong. I said, I beg your pardon? She said, Daddy, you're doing it all wrong. She said, Daddy, 
you put these very heavy women and men into the CHIP program, wrong idea. I said, Carmen, they need it more than anybody else. She said, no. Do you realize, she said, there's an ACE score, A-C-E, that stands for Adversive Childhood Events. Adversive Bad Childhood Events. ACE. She said, the higher the score, the more overweight these people are. I said, how do you figure? She said, Dad, for people that have been abused, especially as young people, they had these aversive childhood experiences, oftentimes sexual abuse, to them, to be overweight is protection. And you want to take it away from them? Dad, remember, 80% of these very heavy people are usually somehow been abused by husbands, by uncles. Dad, it's a very sad picture. What these women need is not an intellectual education program. What they need is they need to have a group where they can process the pain that has been building up for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. The perpetrators have died since then, and they still hate these people because they haven't resolved these problems. Dad, you have to bring them into a therapeutic community where people, five, six, seven, eight, ten women meet every week, and they begin to spill their guts, and they begin to realize they need to process the pain because they eat because they feel comfortable, because they feel protected, because they will no longer be attacked by the predators out there. I said, really? She said, once they have processed that pain, that then you bring them into the CHIP program. Then you teach them about empty calories. Then you teach them about the concentration of calories in meat. Then you teach them about eating more whole foods. Dad, that's the time to do it when you say, get into an exercise program. But first, Dad, they have to come to grips with the pain that has been sitting there for years and decades sometimes. Are you with me there? So many people come to me afterwards and they say, Sir, you must have talked to me. It's more often, more often the case than we wished it would be. I have an appointment in Davidson, which takes two hours and 15 minutes driving to be with my CHIP alumni group there. It's a non-Athenist group of people that just love the Athenist health message. Folks, we have a wonderful opportunity of reaching out, not just with CHIP. Some of you talked to me yesterday about the uh, um, diabetes uh, reversing diabetes seminar. Folks, look for these programs uh, that we can use as a church. Let us reach out to people. The pain is so deep and the need is so great and they will kiss your feet when the program comes to an end when you have been a nice person to them. Not the, know, the one that knows everything. Not the jackhammers. Just nice. Amen. Supportive. Listening, affirming, becoming friends. Because people out there look for friends. And once they've found a friend, then they come to you and say, what else do you have? What makes you tick? Why are you so kind to me? He said, well, he comes to me every morning when I wake up and I surrender myself to him first thing. I said, Lord, I'm yours. And then you think about your wife 
and you say to her, Honey, what can I do today for you to make you really happy? And that's how you build relationships. That's what you learn in the 2 o'clock program here on marriage. I love it. I was here today. I sent my wife already two messages right afterwards. <laughs> so God bless you all. I'm just happy to be with you. And may the Lord bless you. And tomorrow morning, I'll be back here at 9 o'clock. I'll be driving my two and a half hours to be here with you tomorrow morning. And tomorrow we talk about the Adventist health message. A sacred trust given to us. I talked to you about Battle Creek. I talked to you about the historic things. And you'll be amazed how God has blessed this movement. So let us meet tomorrow morning at 9.15 here. Okay? Bless you all. Amen. <clears throat>